Welcome to Aches and Gains, a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, pain specialist at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Pain has reached epidemic proportions, and chronic pain affects a staggering 25% or more of the population. Its human impact is real and is felt by infants, children, all the way to older adulthood. But there's hope and there's treatment. This show offers compelling stories of those who found relief and offers insight into treatments that can ease pain and human suffering. Since the early 19th century, when the analgesic properties of morphine were first discovered, opiate-based drugs have been widely used and invaluable for treating pain. Today, almost everyone is familiar with commonly prescribed opioid pain medications, such as Vicodin, Oxycontin, and Hydrocodone. However, like opium, prescription painkillers can lead to abuse and addiction. In fact, up to 7% of patients prescribed opioids to treat chronic pain may develop the disease of addiction. In order to gain insight into the painful aspects of this disease, we have as our guest Christopher Kennedy Lawford, nephew of President John F. Kennedy. Chris battled drug and alcohol addiction for much of his early life and has been in recovery for more than 25 years. An expert on the pain and addiction interface, Dr. Steve Pasek of Vanderbilt University then outlines the real problem of prescription painkiller abuse, who's at risk, and how we can treat pain while reducing the risk of painkiller abuse. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, Endo Pharmaceuticals, Neurogesics, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Welcome to Aches and Gains. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. Christopher Kennedy Lawford is the author of two New York Times best-selling books on addiction, Symptoms of Withdrawal and Moments of Clarity. He was recently appointed Goodwill Ambassador for the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime. In recovery from near-fatal drug and alcohol addiction for more than 25 years, Chris is here to talk about addiction, pain, and recovery. Chris, welcome to Aches and Gains. Good to be here. I know you're in the process of writing your fourth book, called Toxic Compulsions. Tell us a little bit about that. This book um, is really about healing uh, toxic compulsions. And this is a book that that hopefully will be useful to people that that not only have a dependency, but also have a use disorder. Um, Or people that want to just change their life. I mean, there are lots of folks who use um, chemicals and other behaviors to medicate, uh, to uh, avoid, to touch the hand of God. I mean, (laughs) this book is about empowerment. It's about uh, hope. It's about uh, casting a wide net uh, and and giving people the opportunity. And also, not just the folks that have a dependency or use disorder, but those folks who are affected by the use or dependency of somebody else. So Chris, uh, before you changed your life, what led to your addiction? I definitely have the genetics in my history. Um, the other pieces of this in 1969, when I began uh, my, you know, my my journey down that road, um, it was an entirely different culture in the United States. We were at the, you know, sort of just after the summer of love. We were into experimentation. There was all sorts of drug and alcohol use at, at various uh, levels of society, um, 
and it was it was an accepted thing. It was uh, we didn't, knew nothing about the dangers of it. I mean, people were talking about uh, drug abuse to a to a degree and trying to do something about it. But there was a much much more permissive society, and actually, the ethic back then was about expanding your mind and sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I was in eighth grade, and that sort of that that mentality seeped down into where I was. And we know today from the work at NIH and, and other places that. A, an adolescent who suffers trauma in their adolescence is much more susceptible to, especially if they, if they have the genetics, to addiction later on in life. And I, I was a product of divorce. I witnessed the brutal assassinations of two of my family members, public assassinations. I was a terrified, angry little kid, and I was looking for a way out. And drugs and alcohol gave me that way out. And I will tell you this, drugs and alcohol are enormously good for dealing with any kind of psychic pain. If you have PTSD, if you witness uh, violence in your house, if you witness the murders of family members on television, uh, th that you, you have post-traumatic stress disorder, a form of it. These chemicals are enormously useful uh, for, for, for obliterating that. They are not good answers, but they are enormously effective in the short term. And Chris, what substances besides alcohol did you find enormously effective? I liked all drugs, and you know, I was a pig from the gate. I liked, uh, you know, but I love narcotics because they kill pain. Yeah. Um, and they also allow you to function. And I was very highly functioning. I mean, I went to, I, I, I finished college, I went to law school, and I got a master's certification in clinical psychology from Harvard Medical School, school while, while fully enmeshed in active uh, narcotics addiction, uh, among other things. I went to bed routinely with multiple substances in my body. I believed in better living through better chemistry. That was uh, the way I got through life. Uh, not a good way to get through life because you may be productive and your resume may look good, but at the end of the day, you miss the vital experience of it. Were you using the opioids to help treat physical pain or emotional pain? The physical pain I would create as just an opportunity to get the drugs to medicate the psychic and emotional pain. To me, alcohol was never really a substance, although I've, I've, I've since learned that it is the most dangerous substance. It's the, it's the one that's legal, but it's the one that it costs the human being the most uh, when, they're, when they abuse it, and it costs society the most. Yes, that, that's very true. And Chris, when we come back, I'd like to ask you about whether your threshold to pain changed from drug abuse. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is sponsored by King Pharmaceuticals, a leading pharmaceutical company focused in specialty-driven markets, including pain management, and dedicated to improving and protecting quality of life for people around the world. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Welcome back to Aches and Gains. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. We're here with Christopher Kennedy Lawford and discussing with him his personal struggle with addiction. And Chris, did you notice a change in your threshold to pain from your use of alcohol, opioids, and other drugs? I believe in chronic pain, and I believe there are people out there who need these medications to, to get through life. But I will tell you this, my threshold for pain is a lot higher than I ever thought it was. Um, alcohol and drugs will tell you that, this, that, that you can't take it. Uh, you can't take the pain, but you can take the pain and you could take much more pain, whether it's physical, psychic, or emotional, whatever it is. Um, but once you know there's relief, then you, you, your tolerance for it diminishes 
substantially. And, and Chris, how did the opioids ease the internal suffering that you experienced as a kid? It's really simple and it's really complicated. And this is the simple part. You're in pain. You don't even know you're in pain usually because you're a kid. You're just doing your life, but something down deep inside of you is dying or crying or screaming. And you, you stumble upon these substances and uh, magically you are delivered. Yeah. Okay. And you have fun for a while. And then it turns into what it turns into, which is an addiction. As soon as it does that, it becomes, it's a cycle that just feeds on itself. And Chris, in your experience, in order to break that cycle, what is the best way to persuade patients with pain and addiction to seek treatment? The thing about drugs and alcohol is they work immediately. I have, a, I have pain, whether it's physical, emotional, psychic, whatever it is, I take something, it's gone. In order to convince somebody that, you know, you can... You can spend, you know, 15 minutes through some sort of impulse control or meditation or mindfulness, and you can work through it. They're like, screw that, man. I don't want to do that. The answer's over here. I mean, after a while, you're like, My, this is worse than whatever it is I'm running from. I read your book, Moments of Clarity, and I wonder whether you feel that people have to wait for their individual moment of clarity to occur, or can they be made to see that moment from others? Yeah, that's a great question, and I, I ask that question of everybody, and I think they're moments of clarity. They're, they're little windows. We get these little moments that come by. We go, I know that so clearly, I, and I, I need to walk through that, and I need to ch- make this change. And if you do it and you stick to it, it will transform your life, change your life, change the trajectory of your life. But oftentimes we do it, and then we fall back into, you know, the the habitual patterns or the, you know, whatever. Chris, you know, the non-medical use of painkillers has now outstripped the use of illegal drugs like marijuana and tranquilizers and cocaine even. What's your perspective on whether physicians should continue prescribing opioids to help relieve pain? These These are drugs that are needed by people and they should be available. We need to be conscious of what we develop and how it is distributed. And Chris, have you found that there's a spiritual component to the path of recovery? You know, I tried for a long, for 10 years to do something about this and couldn't. And then, you know, I asked uh, a power greater than me to remove this obsession and it was removed. Now, I, to me, you know, speaking like, you know, miracle burning bush type thing, parting in the sea kind of deal, (laughs) that's as big a miracle as any miracle I've ever heard of. Yeah. Now, that obsession may have lived, gone away for any number of reasons. The scientists will tell you that if something happens in your brain, it turns in, okay, that's okay, I don't care. It just happened, and it, it happened that way, so I'm going to keep doing it that way. Yeah. Nothing else worked. Before we close, I'd like to ask you what the most important bit of advice you would give someone who's fighting pain and addiction. I always stayed connected to a, the higher self in me that wanted to get better. Chris Kennedy Lawford, thanks very much for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for what you do, and we're running to each other again. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Don't go away, because when we return, we'll hear from Dr. Steve Pasek, an expert on the pain and addiction interface. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Endo Pharmaceuticals, a U.S.-based specialty healthcare solutions company that delivers innovative diagnostics, drugs, devices, and clinical data to meet the needs of patients in areas such as pain, urology, oncology, and endocrinology. 
To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Our next guest is Dr. Steve Pasek, a psychologist. He's the author of more than 100 journal articles and book chapters. He's lectured extensively on the topics of pain management, palliative care, and painkiller abuse. Dr. Pasek, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thanks, Paul. Nice to be here. Steve, we just spoke with Chris Kennedy Lawford on the problem of prescription drug abuse, and it's certainly a very popular subject in the media. What is your perspective on the problem? You know, we have um, just seen the end of the uh, decade of pain, uh, so declared by the uh, National, Institute of Health, National Institutes of Health and so on. And, and basically, you know, it was supposed to be this great um, um, decade of research and expanded uh, use of medicines and, and techniques and, and learning um, more about the mechanisms of pain, etc. And, and in many ways it was. Yeah. And with all that increased attention to pain, um, there was a dramatic upsurge in um, the prescribing of medicines for pain of all kinds. I mean, let's face it, we have, a, we have two public health problems, not one. We have 50 to 70 million people with chronic pain, and, and that problem's only going to get worse as our society continues to get older and continues to get fatter um, and, and, you know, has all kinds of problems related to the development of chronic pain. Yes. And doctors have been trying to respond, and we've seen four and 500% increases in the prescribing of most commonly used opioids. And, you know, when you make that much more drug available in a society that is as pill-popping and uh, substance-abusing and sort of inclined to experimentation as ours is, um, what you're going to see is a shift and people are going to move on over to those medicines. Now, that doesn't mean that it's this prescription drug abuse problem necessarily involves the people with pain, but it involves often diversion of their medicines from them to people who are using it in a non-medical way. Given the problem of prescription opioid abuse, what is your perspective on whether physicians should continue prescribing opioids for pain relief or whether they should be restricted? I think that as the pain community caused the paradigm shift that it did, um, go, that has been going on for 15 to 20 years now to take pain more seriously, prescribe everything in our arsenal, including the opioids, I think the one tactical error that we made looking back on it is that we urged doctors to do it, but we, we sort of trivialized the risks of this increased prescribing. And indeed, what are the risk factors for addiction to prescription painkillers that, that patients and doctors should be aware of? That's the funny thing, you know, Paul, is that these, these are well described in the literature. Um, we need to be able to take the time to do an assessment that looks at, first of all, younger age, um, because, um, and this is a no-brainer. It's funny that while we were busy trivializing the risk, we were not sort of waking people up to some of these no-brainers. I mean, 85% of the addictions in the world are expressed by the age of 35. So, of course, exposure to younger people is a risk factor. Another risk factor is a family history of substance abuse, a personal history of substance abuse, um, the presence of an active psychiatric disorder. And this is sort of interesting because, in my mind, a lot of those kind of psychiatric disorders might be the ones that are, that are related to impulsivity and people who don't follow rules well and that sort of thing. But frankly, you know, even, even the presence of bad depression or anxiety is sometimes a risk factor because, you know, as, as, uh, to say it plainly, you know, if you don't have anything to tempt you to self-medicate, then you're not going to self-medicate. And I've, you know, witnessed uh, my share of people 
that sort of innocently enough started out trying to treat their anxiety problem who ultimately lost control of their medicine. And Steve, actually, it may be quite easy to lose control depending on your particular risk. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. When we return, we'll ask Dr. Pasek how likely it is that a patient using prescription opioids for pain control will develop the disease of addiction. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Neurogesics a biopharmaceutical company focused on developing and commercializing novel pain management therapies. Aches and Gains is also available live online. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. Welcome back to Aches and Gains. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. We're speaking with Dr. Steve Pasek. Steve, how likely is it that if someone's using a prescription opioid to treat pain, that they're going to become addicted to that particular drug? If I had to take an average, I would say, well, you know, um, the average, uh, it it can't be less than the the average amount of opioid um, addiction in the population at large, which is somewhere between 3 and 5%. Exposure to a drug is necessary but not sufficient to create addiction. Addiction is a complex result, an interaction of a drug with rewarding properties in a vulnerable person who is given a drug at a vulnerable time in their life. And a lot of our patients are vulnerable in terms of their, the timing because they, a lot of them have had pain for 6 to 12 months. They're, they've gotten depressed. They've gotten estranged from family. They may have had to take time away from work, and their lives are kind of falling apart. So the vulnerable times part kind of cuts across a lot of people with chronic pain. Yeah. But then you also have to have the genetic, familial, spiritual, psychiatric risk factors, and not of course, and everybody, of course, does not. And if I have an older gentleman with prostate cancer who has metastatic cancer in his bones and has a lot of pain when he moves around. But that man has no prior history of addiction, no family history of addiction, no active psychiatric problem, and has terrible pain. I've often said in my lectures that, you know, we have these new opioids that are perfect for his kind of pain. They're rapid onset um, uh, opioids that basically are like oral medicines that work like IV medicines. That's how fast they work. I sometimes somewhat flippantly say, I, I could see giving that man the keys to the rapid onset opioid factory and let him take it himself. That's how confident I am that his risk is is, is minuscule. Well, Dr. Pasek, given the major problem associated with prescription drug abuse in this country, do you feel that practitioners should simply stop prescribing opioids for pain and that opioids should really be restricted? You know, I, it, that's a very hard question for me to answer. I mean, I don't know that restrictions in an aging society with a lot of chronic pain necessarily the answer. I think the answer is more education and a payer system that rewards doctors and, and, and nurses and psychologists and all the people that are involved in the, in the care of these patients to take the time to do it right. I think our current payer system um, forces us often to take the higher risk group of people with pain and treat them as if they were lower risk because of the refusal to reimburse for the time and effort it takes to design a treatment strategy for higher risk people. Steve, how best can practitioners prescribe opioids to patients who have a history of addiction? Because it's such a struggle. You have to develop uh, sort of an individualized treatment approach that works for that person. Okay, so it seems that if patients have few risk factors for abuse or addiction, then they really have a low risk of using opioids for pain. Right. I would say very low. Not zero, but very low. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. When we continue, 
We'll ask Dr. Pasek whether opioids for pain should be used in patients testing positive for marijuana. Aches and Gains is sponsored by Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Christo, especially for upcoming shows, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Welcome back to Aches and Gains. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. We're asking Dr. Steve Pasek whether opioids for pain should be used if patients test positive for marijuana. We have to be worried about diversion to the community if they start testing positive for marijuana. We also have to be worried about drug-drug interactions. As a psychologist, I'm often working with these patients on their motivation and to get them up off the couch and get them moving again. And a drug that, you know, has been shown over the years to have negative motivational effects is the last thing I need. If the marijuana is helping something with their mood or sleep disorder or something of the kind, that there are other legitimate treatments for those things, and I counsel patients that they have to stop. Well, that's an important point to consider when prescribing opioids to, uh, to patients who are using marijuana. Wrapping up, would you let us know what you feel the one thing society needs to do to improve the problem of prescription drug abuse to opioids? <laughs> oh, boy. You know, I don't ever hear anybody really saying, you know, we really need to do something about the poverty and despair and disenfranchisement in this country, and that addiction would probably take care of itself if we did. There's always going to be experimentation and escapism, and the vulnerable people are going to get, get hurt because there is so much disenfranchisement and despair in our society. But we need education programs on how to store your medicine. We need gizmos that help you lock up your medicine that only you can access. We need safer medicines that the pharmaceutical industry is trying to provide. We need the third-party payers to be willing to pay for the more expensive uh, modes of delivery of opioid therapy when they're necessary. We need recovery programs for the people who get into trouble. We need um, law enforcement to have the kinds of give-back days that we have now seen where people get unused opioids out of their homes so that they're not there for their teenagers to pilfer. And finally, you know, the organized crime element that is now making a lot of money in the, in, in the dealing of these drugs. And what we really need is a coordinated, multi-agency, multi uh uh, faceted approach to the problem and really treat it as the public health problem that it is, um, which is which is a highly complex one. Yes, and I very much agree. Dr. Pasek, thank you very much for joining us today. It was my pleasure, Paul. Thank you for having me. Tune in next time when we explore another interesting topic on aches and gains. Each week we invite you to email Dr. Christo with your questions at achesandgains at gmail.com. And here's a question from Ron in Lexington, Kentucky. I'm a physical therapist, and I work with fibromyalgia and fatigue patients. How do environmental toxins affect fibromyalgia symptoms? Well, Ron, many patients report increased sensitivity to physical and environmental stimuli, like pressure, heat, cold, electricity, and things like hypertonic saline, which is high concentration salt water, and even sounds. There is evidence that patients are also hypersensitive to weather and chemicals. I'm not sure that specific cleaning products have been tested, but I would consider avoiding any chemicals if they're triggering or worsening symptoms. And we have a question from Macy in Staten Island, New York. Please explain the double crush phenomenon. Well, Macy, double crush injury refers to carpal tunnel syndrome and nerve compression in the neck. Carpal tunnel may cause pain above the hand and rarely causes numbness above the carpal tunnel area, which is in the wrist. Nerve blocks of the carpal tunnel may sort out which injury is causing the pain. 
Usually, a carpal tunnel surgery is performed before a neck surgery due to the lower risk of side effects and disability. If you've had carpal tunnel surgery already, then a full workup of any spine or disc problems in the neck is probably indicated. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Eric Vohr and Dr. Paul Christo. Ty Ford is the audio engineer, and Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.